2: Hello everyone and welcome to Hidden Histories. So this is the first part of a new and exciting feature I have been working on for the podcast. I am launching the Castle series as part of Hidden Histories. I'm going to explore the fascinating history of some of our best loved as well as our lesser known castles. If you love history, you love castles, but they're not always that easy to get to. The Castle Series will bring the castle to you. So I'm going to talk to a resident expert about the castle, those who lived and worked inside it, and what these extraordinary buildings were all about. For the first episode of the Castle Series on Hidden Histories, I'm going to Leicester with De Montfort historian Tom Weir. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi Tom, welcome to Hidden Histories. Yep. You're a historian at De Montfort University, and we're here in Leicester to talk about Leicester Castle in part one of Hidden Histories Castle series.
3: Yes, um, so our, our castle originally, uh, is, there's actually almost sort of two sites for the castle. Uh, the first one is our, our old motte, which used to have a bailey castle on the top. That's originally uh, built in 1068, uh, just after the Norman conquest to uh, sort of help pacify Leicester and the surrounding area. Um, Unfortunately, there isn't a a castle on the top of the the motte anymore, uh, although the motte is still there. Um, But the the top of that got levelled off during the Victorian era to provide for a nice place for the the gentry to play bowls and croquet. And It it didn't last particularly long because they realised when their bowls fell off the hill that it was a (laughs) bit of a downhill and uphill to go and retrieve them. But um, what we do still have... Is we've got the old medieval hall, uh, which actually now been been taken over by our uh, Leicester uh, Castle Business School uh, here at De Montford So we've restored uh, sort of the insides, and we still have the old ceiling, uh, dating back to the fourteenth century expansion. And um, it's this this castle um, that doesn't look much like a castle from the outside, but uh, is is what we now call Leicester Castle, and, and you can come in and visit.
2: For those of for those who aren't. Super familiar with what a Mott and Bailey castle is. Can you just explain what the layout of that would be?
3: Yes, so these were uh, castles built particularly by the Normans, uh, post-conquest. And the the Mott is a mound Mm -hmm. that would be built, so they would gather in, they'd sort of scrape up earth or um, rocks, particularly sort of earth, and want to build a sort of high-sided mound, essentially, for protection and also to be able to gain height to be able to look around the surrounding area and then the bailey was uh, a keep or a building uh, a sort of fortified building that was put at the top and this was you know very very traditional kind of castle style Um, almost sort of castle type one uh, that you would have very useful for defence not particularly big but very quick to put up Um, some of the baileys would be wooden some of the baileys would be stone if they were a bit more substantial um, but they they were particularly put up in a, very much in a hurry by the by the Normans as a, an effort for them to be able to kind of help, uh, really kind of impose themselves on the the surrounding areas and, and show who was in charge following the Battle of Hastings.
2: Uh, yeah, the Normans took that pretty seriously, didn't they?
3: They did, yes.
2: <laughs> and um, you know what's contrary to popular um, perception is that actually. The bailey wasn't necessarily where the, uh, the lord or the monarch actually really lived, was it? It was more of a defensive outpost. It,
3: that's entirely right. Um, the lord would very often live at the, the foot of the bailey. They would have their great hall, um, simply because there wasn't an enormous amount of space at the top. Baileys were not grand castles as we imagine them. Um, they were put up in a hurry. They were defensive. Very often more, it, It's more accurate to think of them as watchtowers, really, than to think of them as castles. Um, you certainly wouldn't have sort of turrets and people manning the barricades of a, of a Bailey castle. They were a point of of last retreat, almost, um, but they're very much there as a, as a symbol and they're very much there as as essentially a sort of glorified watchtower um, rather than as the place that the Lord would live.
2: Awesome. Okay, so the outhouses were really the main part of the castle complex, and that actually is what, does really survive today and what you can go and see and as part of the university
3: it is um it's not uh, well unfortunately from the outside it's not in its kind of traditional form um if you come to it it will look an awful lot like a sort of victorian university building um that's because it is (laughs) uh, it was actually converted over to being a a victorian courthouse Uh, so if you go inside what was once one big long grand hall uh is now two separate victorian court buildings but uh it does survive the original timbers survive the original dimensions survive and uh whilst the university is yet to take up my offer of hosting a grand medieval feast uh, <laughs> uh, it's sort of it, it, i don't know why um but they haven't but uh they they do still have kind of the, the, the ability to go inside to be able to see the timbers uh, to be able to see the dimensions there's the half at one end as well
2: and the timbers are so amazingly preserved aren't they it's incredible you look up and they actually are look they look immaculate they look almost brand new
3: to the to the best of my knowledge they're the original timbers uh, and yeah they, they really do they they were built to last and they've been been looked after um, there was a small period in the in the 1970s 1980s following when they weren't used as a courthouse where the the building started to fall into decay um the university sort of rode to the rescue of that and restored it um nice plug for my uni there but Mm -hmm. they are amazingly well preserved and i would hazard that they're still going to be there in another four or five hundred years if they're looked after and 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 cherished um like they would have been during the, the time that they were being used as the Great Hall for, for the earls of Leicester and for the, the the seat of power that was that was held here at Leicester.
2: And then later, Richard III, we're going to talk about that.
3: We are. You can't escape Richard in, no, in Leicester. No, he, he spent years and years living under, happily, peacefully under a car park. <laughs> and, we, you know, the, the, the other uni go and dig him up. Uh, University of Leicester, great work digging him up, by the way. Not me slighting at them, but... Uh, you know, fantastic museum now to him. Uh, he's very much our sort of celebrated king uh, that was that was here in Leicester. He, I believe, held various sort of courts here in Leicester, but we can talk about that.
2: Yeah. So before we move on to Richard III, I want to talk about one of my favourite men. Yeah. One of them, <laughs> Henry Duke of Lancaster, who actually really was the one who created Leicester as the the powerhouse that it that it has endured to be. So he created this the Leicester to be, or his his father had a role in this as well as creating Leicester as the centre of the Duchy of Lancaster, which became this huge huge thing. It was uh, second only to the crown in the amount of lands that it controlled, the amount of wealth that it had. So Leicester was a really important place in the Middle Ages, wasn't Mm. it?
3: It it was, and um, it owes that to a few kind of different quirks. Obviously, having a navigable river. Uh, having had some Roman settlement here as, as kind of indicated by the name Leicester, um, the fact that it's pretty much slap bang in the middle of the country mm. uh, and it would be between you know the sort of ancestral home of Lancaster and, and London and um, so it was very geographically important but um, it became kind of increasingly important as a, as a city and one of the initiatives that Henry did was to build um, the area actually that we're sitting in at the moment uh, which is the, the Newark uh, which was the new work uh, sort of if you if you push them together is Newark and that contained a church that contained a hospital uh, and it was an extra sort of walled area outside of the city walls um, and is is now uh, where De Montfort University sits so we sort of inherited the Newark um, but there's still a number of really sort of fantastic pieces of, of architectural history that survive here, like our gatehouse uh, that, that kind of welcomes everyone onto campus, um, welcomes sinisterly, sort of <laughs> whatever way. Uh, but we, it was, it became this real sort of strong um, trading area as well, Leicester, because it's got all this sort of fantastic. Uh, countryside and farming land around it, so this was the the real hub uh, for for sort of traders to come in, and uh, with it being a, a very sort of geographically important, and, and made so even more by Henry, um, it really kind of grew in stature during the fourteenth century.
2: Yeah, it was, so important to him as well that he was actually interred at the Newark, the uh, the church that he founded. Okay, so then it was inherited by his son-in-law. John of Gaunt, my favourite man. (laughs) And he also did some extensive building work. So he really pumped some of that money back into Leicester. He kept it as the seat of Lancastrian administration. Um, And we actually went and had a look at a really interesting part of the sort of hidden history of Leicester, which is his cellar which is, was absolutely fantastic for me to go down and see. And there's some amazing little bits of graffiti down there, and it's this old sort of medieval dungeon that they thought in the Victorian period, but actually it's this cellar which was probably a wine cellar.
3: Yeah. And it, the exact origins of it uh, are probably bound up with Henry. Uh, so it gets, it gets nicknamed John of Gaunt's cellar. It's probably him that used it best, but it is probably <laughs> Henry that actually built it. Um, it's fantastic because it sits there kind of underneath the castle so um, you can get permission to go and visit, you have to ask nicely but it sits there kind of underneath the castle and would have sort of linked on and and does link into the castle gardens um, but was used at different points so it would have been used for uh, storing food, for storing wine, for storing anything that needed to be sort of chilled Uh, it wasn't a dungeon uh, but what Made people think that is because uh, during the Civil War uh, and then later during the Napoleonic Wars, it was used for to house prisoners. Mm. Um, so, it's and that's where of,
2: some uh, of that fantastic graffiti comes from, which yeah. I will put on Instagram for anybody who wants to go and have a look at that.
3: But fantastically carved out, you know, almost sort of calligraphy on the wall for, so they were obviously there for quite a long time, some of these prisoners. Um, but you can make out dates like sort of 1798 and uh, on the wall. Um, so it is this, you know, fantastic, fantastic cellar that that just lies hidden, and, and the all, the only hint to it really from the outside is a bricked up door. Uh, so there's this bricked up door and a, and a panel on the outside telling you all about John of Gordon's cellar, but you can't go in yeah. unless unless you ask nicely. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's this fantastic piece of hidden history, and um, similar as well. There's another sort of cellar that's part of the. the castle complex which got converted uh into the holding cells for the courthouse um and that you that's a little bit better restored um and that you're able to go down and and see again this kind of medieval cellar that's become um used again by by victorians to Mm -hmm. turn into police cells and um you know now we've got that as part of the university uh, buildings although we're not using the police cells for We'll say Apart from Freshers Week, well, we can't actually officially confirm that that's uh, something we do. Uh, it's been muted. <laughs> no, not no for s- purpose. We've never used it during Freshers Week. It's not. Uh, but no, they're, they're these absolutely fantastic kind of spaces. That's that's there. The courthouses are used quite a lot by by um, for visiting speakers and for for talks on the by people in the faculty and things like that.
2: So let's go on to the man that everybody is itching to hear about, the ever-enduringly popular Richard III. Yes, Mr Hunchback himself. So tell me, uh, OK, let's, let's kind of take a step back a few years as yeah. to what happened, why was there this big fight over the remains of Richard III? How was he found, and how did he come to Leicester?
3: Um, so he came to Leicester because the, the Bosworth Field, which I know there's a bit of dispute over where exactly it is, but um, was quite close to Leicester. Um, it's believed to be just outside of Market Bosworth, um, which is a, a, a fantastic sort of abuse area, and they've got a lovely sort of set up for the battlefield site. Um, but Leicester was the the closest city. He'd I believe overnighted in Leicester before going to the battle. So when uh, you know sort of Henry was victorious at the Battle of Bosworth, this was the nearest big city to come back to to sort of pronounce that he was successful and then to display Richard's body. Um, Richard was, you obviously need to bring him back intact to display that he's dead. Um, Supposedly he had been brought back, having had a pike uh, shoved uh, rather ignominiously uh, sort of up uh, his his derriere, up his bottom. Um, And it sort of went up and... He's obviously dead, first, at least, but um, he was kind of brought back to Leicester, displayed, and then handed over to the, the monks of Greyfriars, uh, which was one of the abbeys sort of on the outskirts of Leicester, who were in charge of ensuring that he had a, a burial. But because he's the opposing king, they don't want to bury him, or, or it wasn't encouraged by the, the new Tudor regime to bury him with sort of all honours. So he was kind of quietly buried... And it was slightly recorded, um, but there wasn't an enormous amount of, of sort of fanfare for, for burying this mm. former king. Um, Greyfiles got abolished under the, the reforms of uh, Henry the VII's son, Henry Eighth, And it, the resting place of Richard kind of got lost in time. And then due to, it, it gets picked up again, um, due to some absolutely fantastic work by the University of Leicester, um, you know bigging up our rival but <laughs> we're, we're, we're above pettiness when actually they've done this amazing kind of work to to you know go through sort of archival records find that uh, he was he supposedly buried find where this abbey was and then work out right what can we dig up because mm-hmm. there's quite a lot of buildings down there it's it's near our cathedral it's also near our legal quarter mm-hmm. um Telling lawyers you need to move them out of buildings to dig stuff up. This is
2: also just say this is an amazing example of when history, historical research, and archaeology come together, and using both to discover probably I would say one of the most important finds of our of our century. It
3: it was a huge find. Mm. Um, It's been immensely important for Leicester to to help put us on the map, but also in terms of um, answering some of the myths that have built up. Um, so I, I mentioned him being sort of hunchbacked mm. earlier, which actually is this myth that comes through Shakespeare. And um, when they found this skeleton, so they found this skeleton in this car park and they were able to DNA test it. Um, they found some one of his surviving sort of male relatives, I think living in Canada. Mm-hmm. DNA tested him and matched it to Richard. And this uh skeleton once they pieced him together realised it's Richard uh they were able to work out that far from being hunchbacked he he did have a physical deformity but it was scoliosis so it was sway back um which would have had him in, in quite a lot of pain um a lot of the time but you know wasn't he he wasn't this sort of evil hunchback of Shakespearean legend. Um but there was an element of that that physical deformity around him. Um what they then did, so they've they've managed to, to find him and um, there's a brilliant museum now on the site where they've, they found him, it. it's quite small, but I, I highly recommend it. Uh, and he then got sort of reburied in Leicester Cathedral with sort of full kingly honours. Um, there was a little bit of an argument over whether you should stay in Leicester or go to York. Um, I was, I was split having <laughs> done my undergraduate at York and now living in Leicester, but I think it's, it's right given the work that was put in, um. And given that he, you know, he, he ultimately fell, at battle just outside Leicester has been lying sort of in state, in, or not in state in Leicester, that he should be given the honours of lying in state in Leicester, okay. um, and he's celebrated at our cathedral and with a statue outside. And, um,
2: and what was his when he was alive? What was what did he use the castle? Didn't he?
3: He did because he he was travelling an awful lot around his kingdom. He was only in power for it's around three years, I think. But he's still sort of in the midst of a civil war, and so he was needing to travel, needing to show face, needing to be uh, available, and where the king was, the government was, uh, or the parliament was as well. And so, you know, Leicester, the Great Hall, was used as our parliament uh, whenever kings were in residence, and and Richard was in residence uh, at times, so... um, it has a real kind of history and and majesty to it and he would have been sat in that great hall under those timbers, um, you know, holding court and holding forth. Um, Certainly before the Battle of Bosworth, he he was there sort of almost having his final meal.
2: That's amazing. And it's amazing that you can actually go and experience that yourself and sit in that courtroom, which was that medieval great hall Mm. and beneath the same roof as, as Richard III and some of the great lords and even kings and princes before him. Okay, so after Richard the Third, you do you have mentioned the Napoleonic War and the Civil War. Yeah. Um, what else is there to see? What else is there that is a hidden history of, of Leicester from those days? Uh,
3: well, certainly uh, starting the Civil War. Um, if you go to the Gardens of Newark House Museum, uh, they have some of the old original wall uh, sort of out the back in you know actually very beautiful, very quiet gardens, and you can still go and see the shrapnel damage that was caused by the cannons during the Civil War. Uh, sort of on the, the wall there because um, this was a very sort of uh, a fought over city, uh, Leicester um, and then in terms of the, the Napoleonic Wars as well um, this obviously wasn't on the front line but this was somewhere that French uh, soldiers and French officers were sent to be interred and um, just as there is graffiti down in John of Gaunt's cellar uh, also in our, our castle in the in Newark um, uh, sorry, in the gateway, in, in the, the Newark gateway, um, there are rooms in there that were used to inter prisoners and you can go and see graffiti and, um, you know, other sort of bits dating back to to civil war internment and to, to Napoleonic war internment as well.
2: That's fabulous. Thank you so much, Tom. And actually, what's so amazing is there is so much hidden history yes. just in, you know, with all within walking distance of your campus and you're so lucky to be able to... You know, just work within it, work amongst all of that.
3: Um I probably forgot to mention St. Mary de Castro Church. Oh, which yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh directly opposite the castle. And um so that's a church that again dates back to um the the fourteenth century. Uh, Henry the Fourth was knighted there. Um it's where Chaucer, quite a famous writer, <laughs> uh he got married here.
2: Yeah, well uh, he was um he was within John of Gaunt's retinue, so it is it's quite likely that he was actually married under the patronage, and he was married to um, Philippa Chaucer, Well, then Philippa Chaucer, yeah, who was the sister of John of Gaunt's third wife, Catherine Swinford. Um,
3: so you can still go and see that church, and there's it, it does retain some of its original features.
2: So it's predominantly medieval, but then there are these layers of history from you know from the Napoleonic Wars, Civil War, all the way through. Um, through time until up until now and it's amazing how it's been preserved and the victorians they did they did a pretty good job
3: they did um they, they actually were apart from the bowling green but that's i mean that provides amusement if nothing else <laughs> i mean i suppose it's what it was intended for wasn't it but perhaps not in the way they intended um <laughs> you know it, it's a chock full of history here um mm. It's absolutely fantastic, and you know, right up to our, our most recent history, obviously of winning the Premiership, uh, twenty sixteen, which uh, we're still rather proud of, and we'll probably never shut up about in Leicester. Um, but just in our, our little area around our campus, there's, there is so much history, kind of that that is still uh, sort of enmeshed in the in the structure and in the environment.
2: So um, it's really worth coming up to Leicester and just taking a look.
3: Absolutely, Brilliant. come up, use it as part of a day trip. Maybe go out to the. Uh, Bosworth Battlefield as well um, but you'll, you'll have a great time, you'll see a lot of history in, in a very, very small space of time.
2: Tom, you on Twitter?
3: I am indeed uh, it's uh, at t.weir8 uh, <laughs> spoken to to by a man who uses Twitter all the time. <laughs> yes, exactly, last tweet back in uh, XYZ um, I'm also, uh, I've got my website tomweirhistorian um, uh, .co.uk and .com um, so if you want to know a bit more about uh, some of the stuff i do uh, particularly uh, my specialty of sports history but
2: which you are coming back on the podcast to talk about another time i am indeed yes so look forward to that one everybody thank you so much tom